0: In Central America, women are more likely to live in extreme poverty than men. They face high rates of physical and sexual violence, systemic exclusion in the workforce, and other cultural and economic barriers. But there are women on the ground working to shift the narrative and prepare a new generation of female leaders. From the Aspen Institute, I'm Amina Akhtar. This is Aspen Insight. On today's episode, I speak with Maria Pacheco and Alexandra Kissling, who are two of the founders of Vital Voices Central America in Costa Rica and Guatemala. They work to empower Central American women with the tools they need to succeed economically and socially. Pacheco and Kissling are part of the Aspen Global Leadership Network, joining more than 3,000 high-integrity, values-based entrepreneurial fellows around the world. Within this network, there are 14 fellowship programs that are sector or region-specific. Their fellowship program, CALI, or Central American Leadership Initiative, helped them broaden the reach of Vital Voices Central America. They have been recognized as two of the five 2019 laureates for the John P. McNulty Prize, which recognizes bold, entrepreneurial leaders working to solve society's biggest issues. The winner will be announced on October 30th. We talked about confronting the machismo and patriarchy ingrained in Central American society. According to the Wall Street Journal, machismo or machista is a Latin American socio-cultural term associated with a strong sense of masculine pride and belief in traditional gender roles. I learned a lot about the tangible ways Pacheco and Kisling are investing in women's education, leadership, and workforce skills in the region. Take a listen to our conversation. Alexandra, you helped found the Vital Voices Costa Rica Group, and Maria, you helped found the Vital Voices Guatemala Group. Across six countries, Vital Voices Central America has reached over a hundred thousand women and girls
1: each central American country like started where its immediate needs were, so for example, Guatemala, we started with economical mentorship, but now we're really down to to girls making sure girls and young women attend school and they know about the health about uh, financial literacy about uh, sexual um education, which sometimes is a taboo in our country um so I think each 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 um Country has developed its own methodologies, and what we're thinking, what we're going to be doing now, is really sharing those methodologies, best practices each chapter has discovered. To really, uh, although we're doing some um, Central American programs now, to really be able to to optimize the, the best um, programs from each country and and share them as best practices. Mm-hmm. But that's where Alexandra really comes in. And at this
2: point, I am the president of the regional network. And this will go on to other chapters every year. And part of what we want to do is to really strengthen the the projects regionally. We have started two years ago doing three different projects. And part of what we want to, as Maria was saying, share best practices because we can then uniform the results of everything that we do. Uh, pretty much we all know that if, and I, and I think the chapters, in their own ways, we focused in economic autonomy because a woman, if a woman is not able to have it, is not able to decide over her life. And it is proven, as a, we have been always looking at every woman, when a woman earns money and she educate herself, she invests the best of her in the family. She invests in education, in nutrition, in healthcare. She replicates what she learns. And she's a role model for the children. One of the things is when a woman feels poorly about herself, even though she says to the children, you are worthy, what she's transmitting, it's another thing. When a woman is in power, if, even if she doesn't speak, the children will have her as a role model. So economic autonomy, we've been uh, specializing in that and we will keep on doing because the region, not only because of the women and their families, in our countries... To grow and develop, we need women. Uh, Just a fact, World Economic Forum said that if we achieve just 25%, if we diminish, the, if we uh, increase the parity, we will have $5.3 trillion in the global GDP. Women take 85% of the the decisions uh, making around the world. Women uh, diminish, you know, uh, mortality, pregnancies. So we said in Vital Voices, when we invest in a woman, we transform the world. So the next thing I think, and we've been talking about, is the have developing mentoring in politics. Because that's the other great thing. First is... Uh, create wealth and, and businesses for them to be able to have economic autonomy. But the second thing, to really scale up, is to take women into the public policies. Because pu- public policies have been a male-dominated area, and we need the, the, the view of a woman there, of many, many women in, in politics
1: yeah because that's where the big decisions are made right <laughs> so so yeah this um politics things, and we're talking with Madam secretary Albright uh yesterday and um so there's best practices we could also start learning, and I think this mcnulty. Um, laureate is allowing us to make those alliances and partnerships with people that can really mentor us as Central American Vital Voices what to do and how to scale because so there's there's best practices there that I think we want to take into the region like Lana who does the youth councils because then you know after the girls clubs and, and, and Circle of Friends for example that in Guatemala we're doing if girls by the time they're 15 they can choose you know whether you know um, like a, local government or entrepreneurship and, and get a little better at that. When we get them as adults, then they will be better politicians or better business people. So I think for us here, it's seeing what gaps are we missing in these methodologies to really be able to have from six-year-old girls to, to you know, formal business women um, into politics and into really being part of the, of the development and 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 becoming prosperous of, of the region
2: and, and just to add another thing while I was listening to Maria is that one of the greatest problems we have in Latin America in Central America is the informality mm-hmm. in the work of women
0: mm-hmm.
2: so this is something that we also are trying to tackle because they might ha- start the businesses but in the informality they lose a lot of things that they need to have so another big goal is how to bring more
1: women into formality? Following your point, for example, in Guatemala, only 2 out of uh, 10 people are in the formal economy. So that means only 2 out of 10 people pay taxes that have to serve 10 out of 10 people. Mm -hmm. So that's why we don't have health, we don't have education, we don't have many things. So so when women become formal, and we can go from 2 out of 10 to 8 or 9 out of 10 paying taxes... And, and then those women not only will contribute, but they also will have a voice because they know the politicians have to respond to them because they're also paying taxes. So the social audit becomes more powerful. Mm-hmm.
0: If you like listening to Aspen Insight, be sure to check out our sister podcast, The Bridge, another production of the Aspen Institute. The Bridge podcast brings together wise women from different generations and geographies in conversation about leadership, sex, activism, and other burning topics in today's society. Hear from guests like Dr. Ruth Westheimer and Molly Fisher from The Cut on Tuesdays, who discuss the changing attitudes towards sex in an era of technology. To tune in, download The Bridge on your favorite podcast provider today. Now back to the show. You have both mentioned growing up in a machista society. When was the first time you recognized that and thought, oh, I'm going to have to work two, three, four times harder than the average male next to me?
2: Well, you know, it's hard to say because I treasure my family very much. The values and the examples that my father and my mother set for me were very high. But I have to say that uh, in my house, um, we were treated differently in the sense when my brothers uh, were to college, they were sent to the United States. My sister and I, we were sent one year to Europe and then come back and stay in Costa Rica. And, you know, that was a difference. And, you know, the household work was normally that women would stand up and do things. So. Even though it sounds small, because we all have got studies, we all got to travel, but you could see those differences. That That's when it started for me. And contrary, when I got married, my husband was very female-oriented, <laughs> so he supported me in every single thing I did. So, But it was started in home, and then the other thing is very important, and, and this is keen for what sometimes women feel threat is the insecurity that you feel walking down the streets. In Costa Rica, you you feel there's a lot of sexual harassment. So sometimes that is very uncomfortable. And even though when you do business, you know, when you sit at a table in the beginning, you say something and two, three times after a man says the same thing, and everybody keeps remembering what the man said and not what the women. Little things like that. Not in my case, not big ones. But when you start working with women, then you see a whole other universe. I remember even I had a family that the the husband came and said, "I need to come here to see what you're doing with the, with my wife." Because, but in the in the good sense, because we were in a crisis. I, she wasn't happy with her job. I was I was struggling with which job should I take. The whole family was feeling it. And since she started the program, she took decisions. It was a, a something out of the, her business. She took a business decisions to move the business to a better place. The, the pharmacy started getting better. And the husband resigned her job and started... Uh, working with her, and all of a sudden he said, I need to understand what you do because our family was in hell and now we are in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Things like that you see. And you see also, you know, machistas, husbands, that really limit their potential.
0: How do you challenge that when you have one of those husbands come in and he just doesn't understand?
2: Well, I I told you what we did that time. The other thing, we have some... uh, partners now male partners that are and we are developing workshops masculinity workshops where we invite men and men from our programs to
0: to be able to explore a different uh, perspective what advice do you both have for women who are struggling to put themselves forward in a male dominated space it's it's interesting
2: but because you see, and and now, for instance, uh, in Costa Rica, more women are graduating with better uh, grades than men. Um, they are better prepared in many, many ways. But women feel, in when they are in a male-dominated area, definitely they feel insecure. They, they, they feel, uh, they become timid, and they don't sit at the table with the same confidence and trust when they are in a female environment Um, and that's why one of the first things we started when we started the work in mentoring was to start building that confidence and trust from within because i see that when a woman is able to see those blind spots that she is not able to see a mentor will will reflect the talents and the the good things that a woman have that that woman would not recognize. So leadership starts from within, from knowing what talents do you have, what are you here for, what do you want in life, and it, although it sounds you know very logic, it's not that logic for women because of the em- environment that we have grown. We have grown in a a place where we have stereotypes. Those stereotypes divide the labor in what roles women have to play, what roles men have to play. And, you know, women have the... And it is very interesting because women have the responsibility now over the household and the caring of the children and the old people. But now women also, because of the economies, have to go out and work. So they have double shifts. They spend three more times uh, hours doing household chores than men. And this is is what's creating a lot of the problem and limiting
1: their way to go up in their works. For me, I think I would say that besides what Alexandra says of It Comes Within, I think part of what I love with Vital Voices is that if you have a group of friends of women that believe in you and you believe in each other, you are able to break those barriers easier. So for example, Vida Voices Guatemala, I would say it's a group of about 10 women that we've been together for 11 years. Now we have new women coming in but we become the best of friends and really the best supporters and i think in a machista society the bad thing is not just that men don't support women is that women don't support women we don't know how to support each other but i believe that an empowered women will be the first one to recognize how important it is to support others so i would say surround yourself by by women that you will, you know, support each other and go through things. And I think now we're seeing in Vital Voices, we've also had the first men that have supported us are Cali Fellows. So, for example, in Guatemala, uh, it was Cali Fellows that invited me to be part of Fundesa, a think tank. It's Cali Fellows that have open spaces for us. So I think it's not just a group now of women, but this group now drawing off attention to get... um, Cali fellows supporting us throughout Central America, and that's why 118 fellows. There's a lot of men there. Yeah,
0: and it's this notion that I see this a lot in groups of women. Some of them question why should we work with men? Like this is a women's thing, but often it takes one man to spread the word and, or even just to change his opinion of how he thinks of women to move the entire group forward. And and I think it's like what what
1: Alexandra said yesterday. I think this women's issue is not just because of women. I think when we recognize that women are 50% of our region and they have not been given the same opportunities, I think it's up to men and women to make sure women um, can fulfill their potential, get the education, get the resources, so they can also contribute to the development, the economic development, and, and the overall well-being um, well of, of our countries. So I think it's, you know, men and women supporting women that don't have opportunities so they can explode their potential. And that's good for everybody. It's, it's good business, but it's it's human rights. I mean, it's, it's really making
0: humanity better, this women's issue. I want to ask what you guys felt like when you found out you were going to be McNulty Prize laureates
2: well it was an incredible feeling especially because we apply because we felt that there was especially a a, a a very a fellow work you know it was not just about Maria and myself but the effort that we've been doing in continuously over the last 10 years and at least in my case I remember when I I am the first class of Kali, and Maria is the second yeah, one. I'm the second. Uh, and I don't know if you remember, but they're all, they were always telling us that we as a region should work together and mm-hmm. should do projects together and should face an objective uh, co- uh, common together. And sometimes that is not that easy because, you know, to truly embrace the work and, and make deep connections and commitment, you, that grows organically because we feel the need and uh, at the time that we applied that, we felt that we needed to acknowledge that this fellowship finally found a central topic that was so important and so needed in the region to, to take action, that was able to hold the effort of 118 Cali fellows. You know, gender inequality is really, really making damage, not only in Central America, in the world. When you see the uh, objectives that the Na- United Nations have, first the millennial objectives and now the sustainable development, in the center of the architecture of the pyramid are inequality, women's in- equity and inequality. And I, I do believe, because when you see poverty the fa- has the face of a woman, climate change has also the face of a w- women I mean, any difficult situation hits women and their families, so when you really invest in one woman, you're not investing just only in her, but in the family. And I think as fellows and leaders in our countries, we realize the importance of gender inequality and we are not going to be able to move the needle in other areas that we want to move unless we really solve this problem.
1: Yeah, like like Alexander says I think it's a celebration of um, of many people together working you know I always say that an individual de- dream is strong a collective one is unstoppable mm-hmm. and I do think this network of trust that aspen has allowed us to develop right now it's for women but any initiative we want to now, it's very easy to scale because we have the trust and together we have seen the change. For me personally, when, when I heard that we were finalists, I told Alexandra, I, because our regions are going through hard time in Guatemala with the caravans from people from mostly from El Salvador, Honduras, people from Nicaragua are migrating to Costa Rica. uh, I was glad that finally the region would also, and the women would have a voice to say why that happens. It's not because there are bad mothers sending their kids, or it's not a bad mother that decides to walk with her. So I think it's also able to tell the story from from our side and from the side of people that are really struggling to survive. So for me, it was like, oh, my God, we we get a voice. Uh, and it's a voice of of saying how we build bridges, how the solutions are. It's not just a voice protesting. So I was really happy that that because not just as women, but Central America is always each of our countries is so tiny. We're always dismissed of everything, you know, like, oh, we go to Asia, Africa, Mexico and Brazil, exactly. you know, and that <laughs> covers the world. And it's like, where is Central America? So I think for us to be together makes us more relevant. And, um, and so I think it's, it's, I'm so happy that this gives us a voice in a time where the region is really struggling.
0: If you'd like to learn more about the McNulty Laureate Program, go to McNultyFound.org. If you'd like to learn more about the Aspen Global Leadership Network, head to agln.aspeninstitute.org. On the next episode, I'll be talking to Secretary Madeline Albright about her time in government, the rules she has when she teaches at Georgetown University, and even how she stores her coveted brooch collection. Thank you to my colleagues who made this episode possible. Hisham Abdul Hamid, Ben Berliner, Samantha Cherry, Phil Havaliana, Shereen Matthews, Aaron Myers, and Erica Ben-Boxtel. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and follow at Aspen Institute on Twitter and Instagram to stay up to date with our work. Thanks for listening.